But I think now actually it's the reverse kind of swing where they're looking for new voices and speakers that are kind of coming from different spaces because maybe the traditional approach isn't working. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. All right, today's guest is Adam Smiley Puzwalski, who is a millennial workplace expert and international keynote speaker, a best selling author of the book, The Quarter Life Breakthrough, and The Breakthrough Speaker. So, Smiley helps companies attract, retain, and empower millennial talent. Um, he's had speaking gigs at a whole number of companies. He speaks about millennials, employee engagement, intergenerational collaboration. He's been published in lots of impressive places. I'm actually going to stop here because I kind of want him to tell us about uh, his career uh, in person. He's right here. And uh, so, um, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. So tell us about what you do now, and then I want to kind of rewind to how you got there. So tell us about your, your job, your role, what you do. Sure. So I spend most of my time uh, writing and speaking about millennials in the workplace, thinking about how we can uh, attract, retain, engage young people. A lot of companies now are struggling with uh, retention and keeping young people longer than six months a year, which is incredibly costly. Uh, millennial turnover alone costs U.S. companies $30 billion a year. Uh, it's incredibly costly to hire someone, train them, and then have them leave after a couple of months. Um, so really helping people think about how you can make young employees happy, engaged, purpose-driven, focused on learning and coaching and growth uh, in the workplace, um, which I think is possible, but is definitely a little bit of a different paradigm than the kind of traditional workforce engagement. So in a nutshell, how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest, I mean, there, there, there's no one, one simple answer there. I think the biggest thing is understanding that the average young person is entering uh, the workforce at a pretty volatile and challenging time. The average millennial will have about 20 different jobs in their life. Uh, technology is changing very quickly. You know, I graduated college about 15 years ago and Facebook wasn't even a thing. It was just kind of getting off the ground. And just thinking about how many jobs have evolved and kind of uh, how, how the workforce has changed in the last 5, 10, 15 years. So I think young people are scared. They're nervous. Uh, they're entering a very uncertain world. Many of them are suffering from high student debt and uncertainty. So what they're looking for is less kind of this job security thing. Of, I'm going to work here for 10, 15 years. I'm going to get a pension. I'm going to have a salary for a long time and social security because they know that 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 kind of contract is, has been blown up and they're much more focused on meaning, social impact, purpose, making a difference today, getting skills and training and mentorship so that you can kind of have this fulfillment in the moment. I think it's a much more nearsighted approach of how does this job reflect who I am, what I care about in the world, what can I do today uh, rather than tomorrow. 
So there's a lot of good that comes with that, right? This purpose, the sense of meaning, the sense that you want to contribute. Young people have usually are very motivated. There's a lot of stereotypes about millennials as lazy, entitled. I actually think that those are completely false. Uh, and that when you look at the data, uh, most young people are very, very motivated. They're just expecting certain things to happen quickly and they, they want more transparency and authenticity in the workplace. But when given a mission and when, when their mission aligns with who they are and what they want, when their values align with what, the, what their workplace and what their role provides, they're going to show up and work really hard and, and do a great job and perform really well. So I think the biggest piece is that meaning and purpose piece. I think that there's a huge now emphasis on mentorship and coaching. You're, you're less kind of like uh, focused on how are you prepared just to do your job well, but you want to be prepared to be a good adult, to understand kind of your personal development. You're expecting to get some of that in the workplace as well. So you see that organizations that are really have increased their millennial uh, retention are focused a lot more on and keeping young people in terms of learning and education and development, not just professional development, but personal development, um, whether it's kind of pairing talent with life coaches or therapists or uh, helping their bosses become better coaches, not just better supervisors, really kind of that nurturing voice and spirit that helps people navigate this uncertain world. It's funny when you talked about Facebook, Facebook not really being a thing when you graduated from college 15 years ago. I was thinking about myself. I'm a, I am graduated from college about 30 years ago and computers weren't really a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember I used to have... I, used to, I, I got a computer my senior year of college. I didn't even know how to type. And I had a friend who had, was talking about the internet, but he, that's because he was an engineering robotics major. And they were kind of like doing this internet thing. I think it was kind of came out of the military or something. And so... That's pretty funny. Um, so you went to college at Wesleyan. I know that because I read your bio in Middletown, Connecticut. Um, you majored in film. I know that too. And so what did you do after college? Um, so I've had a very uh, windy uh, road. I, in my book, I call it my wandering <laughs> career path. But I was a film major uh, at Wesleyan. It's a great liberal arts school. Um, I kind of, you know, like many recent college graduates, you say, okay, well, what did I major in? I guess I'll get a job in that. <laughs> uh, so I majored in film studies. I moved to New York City where many of my friends were moving. And I started working kind of freelance in film production. So I worked as a location scout, finding locations for movies. I worked as a production assistant, a camera assistant, kind of any job I could get uh, in film that would uh, pay me money so that I could live in New York City and Brooklyn with some friends. And um, it, was a, it was a fun experience. It was a time actually very different than today. I used to go around and take photos of different buildings and get the film developed to show the photos to the art director and the production designer and the cinematographer. I used to find locations for these movies and actually have to drive the directions uh, using MapQuest to make sure that all of the roads were open and there weren't construction blocks. <laughs> And that, you know, the trucks could get under the tunnels and that there weren't, the exits weren't closed and that job does not exist anymore. I'm actually having to drive the directions because we have Google Maps now. But it was, it was a fun time. I got to meet a lot of interesting people and work on some cool projects. Uh, I just kind of found over time that the film industry wasn't really the place I wanted to be in at these massive projects, I kind of felt lost on set and that I wasn't kind of, it, it really, it was something that I had really enjoyed studying and kind of fell into the major in college, but it, it, it wasn't reflective really of who I, who I was and what I really wanted. So it was a great experience. I kind of, I, I have a deep appreciation now when I watch a movie to always sit 
at the theater to the end of the credits because I was one of those people that's, whose name is in 10 font at the very, very end. You have to wait seven minutes to see their name. I'm like, that was me. Uh, so after that, I um, kind of got disillusioned and with living in New York City. I spent some time abroad in Argentina. I worked for a film festival there and then came back and worked on the Obama campaign in 2008. Uh, I got very excited about getting involved with kind of this wave of change and and, in, and kind of a new voice and younger voices in politics and uh, worked on Obama's uh, election campaign in 2008. I was in Indiana, so in a rural part of Indiana, running a local field office, trying to get people registered to vote and then people to show up and, and vote uh, for Obama in the, in the general election. And then, uh, and then what happened next? (laughs) That took me to DC. So, you know, as, as many people that worked on the campaign, they got really excited about this amazing candidate of hope and change. And let's go to DC. Let's change Washington. Let's change the way things work. Let's make. And I went to DC kind of starry eyed and hopeful and eventually not right away, but eventually got a job working for the US Peace Corps, which is a great agency. It sends Americans abroad to volunteer. And it was a great experience, except I also kind of got <laughs> realized how, how slow things happen in Washington and how hard it is to work for the federal government and the bureaucracy there and kind of had this situation that I think many young people sometimes face of a job that on paper is kind of everything you want, good salary, it's impressive, your parents are impressed, it meets like the college alumni, <laughs> you know, status markers or whatever your business card looks cool everyone's like oh yeah good job you got a job like most people don't have a job be good for you um but then inside feeling all this turmoil because you're like this is not what i want so i had this i was a special assistant to the director of global operations at the peace corps which is a cool job and i had a lot of access and got to go to sit on some cool meetings work on some cool projects but it really wasn't again felt that it wasn't the right fit uh, although I'm very grateful for the experience of kind of working in government, seeing how that works, understanding kind of how hierarchy works and how decisions are made. I think that that being in that culture made me realize now as I work in workplace culture in a different way and sometimes what not to do. There was a lot of the mindset there of kind of wait your turn. You know, you're younger, you don't matter. Be, you know, kind of pay your dues first. Uh, that I think is actually being broken down now and kind of we're moving much more to inclusive. But I'm very grateful for that experience. I learned a lot. And I eventually mustered up the courage to leave. It was very hard. I ended up, I worked there about two and a half years and uh, start this kind of whole new career path in my late, late 20s, early 30s. So I often tell people that I think one of the things millennials aren't good at is patience, right? I think a lot of people that graduate college and they think they're going to have all the answers and that they're going to do the thing that they studied in college or their first little startup project, or they do one little cool side project and they're going to turn that into a business or whatever it is, that it sometimes is two, three, four steps down the line where it clicks. So that was really the case for me. I'd always loved writing, but I didn't know I wanted to be a writer until I was almost 30 years old, right? I'm about 35. I'm almost, I'm almost 36 right now. I didn't find my, my quote unquote calling or career path. And I don't even think people have one anyway. I, I expect to do many more things now in the next 10, 15, 20, 40 years. But I didn't find the thing that really lit me up until, you know, 10, 12 years after, 10 years after graduating college. So I think that that's a really big thing that millennials need to work on is the patience piece. If I can interrupt for a second, because I think that's a really important point I want to sort of 
underscore here. Uh, can, I'd love to talk just a little bit about the connection between patience and meaning. So earlier you talked about how millennials crave meaningful work. And you also talked a little bit about how millennials characteristically maybe have a hard time with patience. I can imagine that if you're impatient, you might see work initially as not being very meaningful because you're doing sort of the scut work and so right. on, paying your dues. Like, how do you sort of, how do you bring those two ideas together to be more patient and at the same time have some sort of tolerance for different levels of meaning? <laughs> I'm not sure. Tell, yeah. tell us what you think. I think the key thing here is that, you know, millennials are used to having, getting things when, you know, immediately, right? Whether it's a, uh, an Uber, a car, Lyft, uh, Airbnb, a hotel, a date, right? You're just swiping, right? Okay, cool. Ordering some food on DoorDash or whatever it is. Okay, cool. And then they get to the workplace and they don't get the meaning and fulfillment right away, or they don't get to run the project right away, right? They can't swipe right and be like, I want to be promoted, or I think we should change the way our organization does this. It's like, it's your second week and you're 24. <laughs> That's not how this works here. But I think those intentions and that voice and that drive are coming from a good place. So I actually just gave a talk and I, I kind of had, had, had been focused on in my, one of my, my, my first TEDx talk about purpose. Um, and I call millennials the purpose generation, which I believe very strongly in. But in this new talk, I was talking about from purpose to patience, where you're kind of grounded, yes, in this desire, this sense of uh, knowing yourself and, and self-discovery and what your values are and what you care about and what you're contributing to and the types of people you want to surround yourself with and the projects you want to work on. But that the more important piece it, it is this kind of understanding that it's a, it's a journey, not a destination. Right. And that you get the meaning and the purpose really down the line when you're looking back. That in that first moment, it's just annoying, or someone's telling you what to do, or you're learning and it's hard because you don't know, you don't know yet, or you have to take directions or you have to do the grunt work or the things you don't want to do, or it's not working. What you want to do is working. But then two steps down the line, two years down the line, five years down the line, you're like, oh. Now it makes sense. Like I think about that very much in my you know, job, job in government. Now, looking back, I'm like, I understand why I was there. That shaped me. I know what I don't want to do. I also know um, I, I've had that experience of, of doing a very good job in that setting. Um, it taught me kind of a lot about, about work. Um, but at the time, I felt lost. I felt basically depressed. I felt like everything was, the sky was falling. But uh, if you can kind of dig in there, um, you kind of see the light on the other side. So I think that that's the piece that like the purpose comes delayed, right? So, so I, I, but I also think on the flip side, you don't want to, you, if you, if the whole thing is, well, maybe it'll work out down the line, maybe it'll work out. I'll never do something I care about. I just put in my time, put in my time. You wake up 10 years later and like, I hate my life. What am I doing? <laughs> so that's not okay either, right? I think you constantly do need to be checking in and pushing yourself but just understanding that it's not supposed to happen overnight. So I think it's that balance. It's an interplay. And, under, and I think that an evolved person and the, like millennials that are kind of, you know, what I su succeeding and by succeeding, I don't mean necessarily on a wealth metric, but on a meaningful kind of content, contentment, fulfillment metric are able to balance the purpose and the patience. They're able to kind of say, Hey, uh, it's not about perfection. 
right? I think that's the key there. It's not about perfection in the moment. Everything's perfect. And I think that that desire comes a lot from the social media stuff and throw the highlights and, oh my God, they're perfect. I'm perfect. I got to show that everything's perfect. It's not about that. It's not supposed to be perfect. Um, that it's constantly supposed to be this kind of, are you learning, right? Are you learning? Are you getting closer to something you care about? Are, are, are you developing that toolkit? Are you learning new skills? Are you becoming a better whole person, a better learner, uh, a better manager, a better teammate, uh, a better creative? And then you're in the sweet spot, right? But you know, I think that those are. I think that that, that that holding those is challenging for a lot of young people. Yeah. No, I see. And, and I want to go back just for a moment about your your major in college, which was film. So. I often ask people who are guests on the podcast what you know what what they took from college specifically that ended up helping them in in, in the workplace. I know, sort of literally, you went right into film production and you found it you know unsatisfying in a number of ways. Though you did learn how the sausage is made, and you now appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I know also that in movie making, movies are about narratives. Films are about narratives. It sounds like you've seen your life a bit, a bit as a narrative in the sense that you've discovered something about yourself as a character that you didn't expect, which is that you love writing, you right. know, and you discovered that late in life and so on. I mean, tell us about the connections, if there are any for you, uh, between studying film and, and sort of your career. Yeah, I'll say that first and foremost, and I actually just went back to on my alma mater to Wesleyan to give a TEDx talk uh, last month, which isn't out yet, but will be out soon. and. Um, kind of actually the thing that I most take from college and actually think is the reason that it still makes sense, although that it's completely unaffordable and that the higher education landscape is going to drastically change in the next 10, 15 years because it has to, of people buying into a you know $200,000 or more education to graduate, not knowing what they want to do with their lives and in hundreds, uh, tens of thousands of dollars of student debt and not being able to get a job, I think is, is ridiculous and unfair. And that that social contract has been broken and needs to change. But what I got most out of it, and I think a lot of people would say they got out of a, a liberal arts education or a or a being being at a, a a good college, is the community and and the understanding how important friendships are and time with your friends, especially in the space that we're in, where everything's moving to technology and we're seeing increased rates of loneliness, and especially among young people and. Uh, anxiety, depression, teen suicide is is astronomically climbing, and a lot of a lot of data now shows the links there. You know, sometimes between technology use and te- technology addiction, and social media use, and and mental health challenges. Right, uh, workplace burnout was just characterized as a as an illness by the WHO, um, World Health World, World Health Organization, and and young people show most the highest rates of burnout. But that's off topic. But I think <laughs> you asked about the film piece. That, that's the college piece. What I take most about it is deep relationships with several people in my life that I love and I know that I can come back to and having that experience. And I think that the che- the, that I'm trying, you realize later, a little later, right after college, that when you get a little lost, you need to kind of build that community back in, right? The, so- the so-called dorm room life or this kind of community in-person connection. And you can do it at a fellowship program or a conference or going to meetups. Uh, it becomes harder as you get an adult and your friends move across all around uh, and people start to get married and have children. But we, that connection piece is everything, especially when people are spending 10 hours a day on a cell phone. 
I think I hear that too. Um, we, we, we interviewed 50 people who had recently graduated in the last sort of one to six years from college. And one of the things that they noticed was challenging for them was this sort of like sudden and unexpected lack of community. Right. And then to, to directly answer your question about the film piece, you know, it's much easier to look back and kind of connect the, connect the dots as you look back than in the moment. But I definitely think that I uh, gained, you know, gained an understanding of storytelling and I very much consider myself a storyteller today. Uh, that's what I do when I, when I give talks and speak and write talks and when I write articles uh, is storytelling and narrative and film taught me, studying film taught me a lot about that. I also think, you know, I went to a liberal arts school where you're learning, you're taking classes in a variety of dif- disciplines and my work today kind of encompasses many different spaces. So I like that I had exposure to these different fields. Well, at least at first, was it weird talking to sort of business audiences when that wasn't necessarily your background? Um, I think at first, uh, you know, I think that there's an interesting, you know, a lot of people assume that, okay, if you don't have this training in the corporate arena, or you didn't go to business school, that, you know, you shouldn't be going into businesses and giving them any ideas. But I think now actually it's the reverse kind of swing where they're looking for new voices and speakers that are kind of coming from different spaces because maybe the, the traditional approach isn't working or it's helpful to have fresh ideas about this. So for me, it, I've always experienced with my talks, hey, you're clearly getting results. People are recommending you. They like your talks. Uh, it must be working. People care less that you, you know, spent 20, you know, 10, 20, 15 years developing you know, your theories or that they were supervised by, you know, this corporate entity or whatever, and more about how do people feel when you go in and do your work? Uh, not, not to say that credentials don't matter uh, at all. I, I, I believe that, you know, that they do. But I also think that there is, there is less, you, you, I, the subtitle of my book of the Core Life Breakthrough is Invent Your Own Path and find meaning, Invent Your Own Path, Find Meaningful Work and Build a Life That Matters. I do think that we're moving much more into the world of if you want to be something, do that thing <laughs> and call yourself that thing. I mean, if, if you're speaking garbage and your stuff's not grounded in anything, then yeah, people are going to call you out. But if you're waiting for 20 years to get that certification from someone or to have some you know, old person tell you that you, you are the thing, then good luck. I, don't, I just don't think that, that that paradigm exists anymore. Um, that you, you have to be able to use the tools available, you know, whether it's online or your creative suite to, to make things happen. You know, I, I think that I really encourage young people. You want to write a book, write a book. You don't need a publisher to do that. Um, you don't need to gain fame to do that. And I think that if it's good, people will recognize it and people will want to hear from you more, right? I think there's a lot, this, these gatekeepers, um, that, that, that paradigm is dead. And I think that I, I, for one, and I just know that my work wouldn't have happened if I didn't. Just to give you a little bit of my story, I ended up leaving my job in DC after you know, being very scared and nervous about quitting and making that leap. You know, I was almost 30, I had a secure job in government, not the smart thing to do, not what my parents wanted me to do. You, you, I could pretty much have what, I've stayed in that realm not in the same agency, but moved around for pretty much my career without much effort and making a very, living a very good life uh, in DC in that government space. 
and decided to kind of throw it all away and go for it because I wanted to write. I wanted to do something more creative. I wanted to move to California. I wanted to try something new. I, I saved up money. Uh, I, I kind of took this leap knowing that it was going to be tough for a couple of years and that I was going to have to piece things together and, you know, work a few different side jobs here and there, which I did and, and make it happen in order to kind of start a new life as a writer and a creative. And what I did when I first started, I moved to San Francisco. I ended up doing a crowdfunding campaign to self-publish this book called The Quarter Life Breakthrough, an Indiegogo campaign like Kickstarter. I ended up raising $12,000 from you know, 400 people in 38 countries, most of whom I didn't know, or many of whom I didn't know, because they thought this was cool and they wanted something like that. They wanted this guide and they thought the stories were cool and they identified and resonated with the material. It sold very well. So I, I did the campaign to raise money to do the book, self-published the book. It sold very well, almost 10,000 copies. And then I ended up getting the a version of the book published. So if without these kind of tools that say, all right, you want to do something, you want to go for it, that's you. <laughs> the only barrier between that happening is you and, of course, putting stuff out there, raising money and, 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 and what have you. But that there's not this kind of, oh, well... If Penguin doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen. Or the board of whatever, you know, Harvard University doesn't like your stuff. So you can't make, you aren't this thing. Uh, I, I hate that stuff. <laughs> I think you have to invent your own things and, and make it happen. If they have a creative vision, if they want to write a book, if they want to give a talk, if they want to, you know, start something, that, that's encouraging that those, those voices is where innovation happens. So I'm a big proponent of that, that mindset. That's a great message to end on. I, I think a lot of people will be inspired by your words. And, and if they want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? Uh, yeah, my website, smileypozwalski.com uh, is a great place. You can check out my books on Amazon and uh, follow me on Instagram or Twitter at, at What's Up Smiley. Awesome. And we'll link to all this in our show notes. And thank you uh, again so much for joining us. Andy, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at Andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices, and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening.